Jackie, sometimes I, I, I run out of breath when I'm singing, and then you still hold the note, and I just like pretend that's actually my voice. And I sound so good. Yeah, that is amazing. She is, she's a gift. I was talking to her. I had the joy of talking to her father a little bit earlier, and I was like, don't you just sit back there and go, it's my girl. I would. Um, how many of you slept so well last night? What? Like six and a half of you. That is so good. So good. All right. Um, we have a lot um, to do. I'm sorry, Hannah. It's my ADD. How long do I have? Three hours. Okay. Someone... <laughs> Someone who wasn't Hannah said three hours, so we're gonna, we're gonna go with that. No, it's 9.41. Okay, I feel like I went a little too long last night, but 9.41, okay. So, I, what I used to do, because I'm a former educator, was I had this little cool, um, like, stopwatchy thing that I got at the teacher store. Those of you who are teachers love the teacher store. And so I got this little stopwatchy thing and I would set it and I would start talking and then it would go off and tell me to be done. And just like on my phone, you know those settings where you're like, your 30 minutes on Facebook is done, you just go, delete. <laughs> and so I just go, delete, and I keep talking. So we'll see how it goes. Um, I have a couple of, um, Silver Birch is so sweet. They give me these little certificates to give away for free coffee. And then people come up to me as if I gave them to you. I did not, I just handed them to you. Um, and so we have a couple of these and then I wanna talk a little bit about um, just a couple things um, at my table which you are cleaning me out of. But um, this is a magazine called Just Between Us. This is a ministry magazine that Jill Briscoe, for those of you who know um, the Briscoes from Elmbrook in Milwaukee, Jill Briscoe started this ministry magazine for pastor's wives 30 years ago, but it has evolved into a women's ministry magazine. Um, I've had the privilege of being a contributor to this for the last several years, and it's just a great, um, and it's super inexpensive. So if you like, does anybody like a paper calendar still? Because I do. Yes. Oh, my people, there's so many of you. So you might still just like to hold on to a magazine rather than reading it on your telephone. Um, and so I wanted to give this away to my little friend Leah, who I met last night at my table. Where are you, Leah? I don't want to make her walk up here, though, because she has a bum hip. Is she here? Did she leave? Because <laughs> Is she here? Will you? Leah, can you raise your hand if you're here? Is she not here? There she is. Thank you. Will you take it to her? She, um, Leah, Leah has a bum hip, so... And it was just fun meeting her. Yeah, give a hand to Leah. All right, oh, awesome. Okay, and then um, um, this, this is gonna be really hard because, okay, I wanna give this book to, thank you for helping, to a woman who came to my table last night. I don't remember your name, but you were telling me that you lived on the south side of Chicago. And I was like, oh, near this? And you were like, no. I'm like, near this? And you were like, no. And I was like, okay. And so we just decided to just leave it alone. She lives on the south side of Chicago. Um, and then you told me that your church is like a block from your house and that you don't leave that circle very often and that that's bad. And I don't think that's bad. I just think um, we get, oh, it's like people in the back row. Okay, so I just wanted to give you this book because I think it's cool that you left your four block radius to come to Silver Birch Ranch. Aw. 
don't shake your head. That's amazing. Good for you. From fellow introvert to fellow introvert. There you go. Yeah, thank you. <clears throat> so um, that's my book, Walking by the Homeless. That was actually my capstone project for um, graduate school. So I um, got my degree in theological studies uh, from Trinity. I did not grow up reading the Bible. I learned most of my Bible stories watching Veggie Tales. Anyone? Yeah, yeah, we will clap for Veggie Tales because um, we're going to be talking about Queen Esther on Sunday, and she will always be a green scallion in my mind. <laughs> so, um, you know, a lot of women will say to me, I don't know where to start in the Bible. I had a handful of women last weekend come up to me and say, I, I find the Bible confusing. I don't know where to start. And um, we're going to talk more about this. But you know what? You start with Veggie Tales, that's okay. Might end you up up here someday. I don't know. So, um, the Lord is faithful in helping us with that. And then lastly, uh, our two coffee um, things. I want to give this coffee thing to my friend Noel. Noel, where are you? You did not, you did not sleep last night. <laughs> this, this is what you told me. <laughs> she goes, I tossed and turned and tossed and turned. And I was like, well, wait till menopause. Okay, there you go. <laughs> and then... <laughs> And then Jeanette, where's Jeanette? Jeanette, don't make Jeanette, one of Jeanette's friends walk up here because Jeanette's got a bum. She had a cornhole board dropped on her foot by a, f I know. And so because that hurt me just listening to the story, she needs to have coffee. All right. Um, I, so I'm 52, I've, I had never broken a bone in my life. I was just like, I wonder what that's like. It must be awful. And then last year, I got into a bicycling accident, my husband and I, and I not only broke my tibial plateau, I broke my wrist, so I was in like a little, like an old man walker. I named him Walter. <laughs> we went everywhere together. <laughs> it was very, very romantic. Um, and I had to be off my, um, I couldn't put any weight on my leg for six weeks, so it was during Christmas and Thanksgiving, and um, I was very unpleasant to be around. But I have this new compassion, right? We can know that it must be awful to break our leg or to break something. But remember we talked about last night, abstractly we can know that. But until we break our leg, we can't know it in our core, right? And so um, Will's so kind, he was going to put the triangle back up real quick because I want to do a little recap for, um, from last night because some of our friends, I met three sweet ladies, um, Molly was one of them from Green Bay this morning, Molly, Marnie, and then a lady without an M name. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't remember her name. I, I'm like mnemonics, I need the little helper. Anyway, um, they weren't here yesterday and I'm sure there were a couple other people. So I wanted to just revisit. Um, what, and we're gonna be, I'm gonna reference this, this graphic because it's just been helpful to me. I, I like veggie tales, I like simple. Give me simple, Th that helps me. And I feel like this triangle is a great visual um, to help us. So as we talked about yesterday, you know, God the Father is on, he, he is center of, top of our lives, right? The Lord is on top of our lives and out of that, he has given us Jesus. He has given us the cross and through the cross, but the Bible tells us that it is like the gavel's been banged, that God's unchanging, settled disposition to you is that you're all the things that scripture says. You're holy, you're chosen, you're loved, you're a servant, you're forgiven, you're righteous. But I kicked my dog yesterday because he's so dumb, you're still righteous. 
Sometimes I just wonder what um, our dog, the little dog in, the, in my little slideshow, he, we actually lost him last year. He was our dog of 14 years. Um, and uh, I often wondered what the neighbors thought of me when they heard me yelling at him. Shannon, you're so stupid. <laughs> anyway, anybody, anybody with their dog? Yeah. Oh, no, you all like dogs. You're all better than that. Okay. So out of the cross, we get our identity. And the more we submit and surrender to who God says we are, to who his word says we are, to his love and labels for us, not somebody else's, not that person we're trying to impress, not our spouse, not that coworker, and, and not even us, not even who we say we are because we're most unkind to ourselves. Out of who Jesus says we are, the more we submit and surrender to that, out of that, we obey. Out of an overflowing of his love for us, we, we step into obedience and we can do it joyfully rather than striving. But what we find is that we, we like this, we believe it, we, uh, you know, we, we like it, like in our head we agree with it, but what we're living out of instead oftentimes is that we're going down the wrong side of the triangle. And God the Father is on top and we know that Jesus died for us, but what we're doing is out of our obedience and out of our doing, that is determining our identity. And it's so subtle, right? Again, that's why I have an iceberg on the cover of my Believe Deeper book. When I was here last night, I was going through my notes, I was talking with you all and teaching, and honestly, I've been, um, I taught here last weekend, and I taught, um, I did a couple of kickoffs this week um, in Milwaukee, where I live, and when I got here last night, I couldn't remember <laughs> what I said when. I'm like, wait, did I already say this? No, wait, I said that last week. I felt very disjointed while I was talking, and I left here feeling like these women are, pro th that voice in our head that, that goes, oh my gosh, you didn't do very good last night. That was really disconnected. Those ladies were probably like, why do we waste our time coming here, right? Revelation says that Satan accuses us day and night. So that like voice were like, yeah, that wasn't very good. And, and um, they probably were like, what is she talking about? And da, 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 right? All that stuff. And out of that, and it happens relentlessly. And that's one of the reasons, again, why we want to pay attention to that narrative that's going on in the back of our head. Because that's a lot of times where our core beliefs are about Jesus and there are core beliefs about ourselves. And they don't usually line up with going down the right side of the triangle. If we could just be good and do good and try harder, why did Jesus have to come? But so many of us are striving so hard to not even need the cross or think we don't need the cross, even though we all abstractly know that we do. So that was yesterday. Today we're going to talk about how to breathe deeper, how to breathe deeper. So yesterday we talked about believe, how to believe deeper. Today we're going to talk about how to breathe deeper. How do we, second day of vacation, breathe deeper. I don't know about you guys, but I like, I thought it was cloudy this morning because we're in the woods, so it's so dark. And then I had to run out to get something and I was like, oh, the sun, and it poured all last weekend while we were here. So I was like, the sun is out. And I was like, and I just smelled the air. Those of us who live in the city, the air doesn't smell like this. <laughs> it's a different smell. It's a disgusting smell. Um, that second day of vacation peace, that lightness that we have on the second day of vacation, 
How do we experience that um, in the middle of chaos, like in the middle of real life, in the middle of um, health crisis, in the middle of marital struggles, parenting issues, um, mental health battles, whatever the case may be, how do we step into, because Jesus doesn't say that he has peace for us just only on vacation, (laughs) right? But how, how? How do we breathe deeper? So that's what we're going to talk about today. But first we're going to read, first we're going to pray, but we're going to read um, Philippians 4, 4 through 9 is our text for today. Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Um, but as we talked about yesterday, one thing that is a gift to us before we go into God's word so that we're not just reading for information, but so that we're reading for relationship with Jesus is to pray and ask God, what do you have for me? What do you have for me today in this? So let's do that, and then we'll, and then we'll start to unpack Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Um, Father God, thank you for uh, this beautiful, sunny morning. Just, um, I feel like it's so reflected in, in the faces of the women this morning, just um, brightness and lightness and joy. Uh, we thank you for your word, God. We thank you that it settles us down, that it focuses us, and that it reminds us of the width and the depth and the breadth and the height of your love for us that we can never realize fully on the side of heaven. And so I just pray whatever you have for each woman in this room, God, in your word, that you would help her to see, help her to hear, help her to feel and taste just you in a new way, your love in a new way. And and again, I just thank you that you have something different for each one of us. And so help us to hear and see you and trust you more. It's in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. All right, Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the peace of God will be with you. The word of the Lord. What can we take away from this text about breathing deeper, experiencing God's peace more often, more um, in our real lives? What can we learn from this? I think one of the things that we can take away from this is to remember our rescue. Remember our rescue. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And how does Paul, how do we know that we can believe Paul? Like what he's saying, the Lord is near. The Lord's not with him. What is the context of this? And there's a really important word in Philippians 4.1, and it's therefore. Right? And therefore points us back to three. There's something in three that Paul's carrying into four. 
and how we know that Paul feels and knows in his bones, not just in his head, that the Lord is near. There's a couple things he says in Philippians 3. Philippians 3, 7 through 10. Paul says, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith, right? That's like triangle, isn't it? He's talking about it's not a righteousness I do. It's not me trying harder. It's not me being nicer. It's through faith in Christ. God bless you. And then um, in Philippians 3, 20 through 21, Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Paul's hope is in Christ because his past, Jesus has rescued him. And his hope is in Christ. He's able to breathe deeper, believe, have this peace that's deeper and believe it not just in his head but down in his soul because he also knows that Jesus is going to rescue Paul's future. Right? So remembering our rescue, is it's a past, it's a present, and it's a future rescue. And I think one way that helps us step into peace is to regularly, like, we need to remember that. But how do we do that, right? How do we, um, we know it. We know it's good. Yep, want to remember my rescue. Uh, you you uh, weird church ladies who drove the van here with all your friends, remember you, you, we identified who that was last night, who was like, hey, we're going to camp. You're coming. Pack your bags. Get in the van, okay? You guys, you remember, you might remember, your rescue, right? Remember what you looked like then? You were so on fire for Jesus. Like the thought of Jesus probably brought tears to your eyes because of what he rescued you from. And those, um, some of us, maybe we haven't been rescued but we need rescuing right now. What do you need rescue from? I, I think it's easy sometimes to look around a room like this and everybody's like happy and they're with their girlfriends and they're having fun and they got coffee and you think, I'm the only one who needs rescuing right now. I mean, I talked to some women last week with some heavy, dark things that they desperately needed rescuing from. How do we do this? How do we remember our rescue? How do we step into this place where we can go back to that kind of um, intimacy with the Lord? I think we need to repent regularly. Repent regularly. I think repentance is a way to step into what Paul is saying in this text when he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. When we repent, it brings us to a place of humility. Because the reality is, this morning when I was coming down the wrong side of the triangle, last night when I was coming down the wrong side of the triangle and thinking, oh, I'm not that good of a speaker and I, my ADD is, probably should be medicated and I, da, 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 da. 
Is that in line with who Jesus says I am? No. So to regularly repent allows us to come into this place of gentleness and humility without trying, doesn't it? And it also allows us to do what Paul talks about in uh, Philippians 4.9 that we read earlier, to put God's word into practice. Some of us are, I remember um, my kids were, my ugliest times as a mother were um, in the morning before school and then in the morning before church. <laughs> that one was really great. But anyway, and so I remember I made this little thing. I was like, I went to Hobby Lobby and I got this little wood thing and I got like paper mache because I used to be an elementary teacher before I was a high school teacher. And I put this scripture verse on it and I put a picture of my family on it. And then I put this little thing that said, wake up early. And it had the time to wake up. And then I had this scripture verse about, you know, being kind and being gentle and being loving. And I hung it right next to my bed where I would see it in the morning when I woke up because I was so tired of being such a disappointment to myself and to my family. And you know what? It didn't work. <laughs> it was lovely, but I was not. One of, when I used to hear repent, that was like, oh, bad. This is where we're going to highlight where Laura was a disaster. But that is not what repentance is. I love this quote from Tim Keller. He says, fear-based repentance makes us hate ourselves. Joy-based repentance makes us hate the sin. I'll say that one more time. Fear-based repentance makes us hate ourselves. Joy-based repentance makes us hate the sin. How can we repent and have joy-based repentance? Well, as we talked about yesterday with the woman at the well, when we know that despite our sin, despite our mess-ups, I mean, this woman wasn't divorced once. She was divorced five times and had the shack up, right? Like, this is an again and again and again thing. But when we know that we're fully known and fully loved and fully accepted, that starts to make repentance freeing and it starts to make it joyful and it starts to make it empowering when we start to go, oh, I, I, the Lord has better for me. I don't, I don't need to do that. I don't need to do this sin. And you do start to hate the sin because you trust the one who's going, I have better for you. It's like when I used it, my oldest daughter, she was such a sassy little toddler. And then she was really good for a really long time. Then she got sassy again when she was 16. But she used to, we lived on a busy street and she used to try to run out into the street because she thought it was funny to get me worked up. Anybody have a child like this? <laughs> Super fun. I'll pray for you. Okay. So she would just think it was so funny and I'd be like, Hannah, baby girl, uh-uh, we do not. We do not. Why was I doing that? Was I robbing her of fun? Absolutely I was, because she thought it was super fun to make me mad and crazy. But because I love her and I want to protect her, I say no. Um, the, uh, how does regularly repenting, I mean, how does, um, yeah, regularly repenting, how does that help us remember our rescue? How do, how do those two things connect. Um, I think that 
Um, let, me get, let me go back to the story of my daughter's car. So for those of you who weren't here yesterday, um, I, I, my daughter goes to Purdue, and so I told her that she could take her car to school last year, and so she now has, is, you know, now we're getting, the year's getting closer, the time is getting closer, where she has to drive, and it's been stressing me out. And um, although, again, I trust that the Lord has her in the palm of his hand, that um, he has good for her, not harm, I have been a nervous wreck. And so part of this was a few weeks before um, she was about to go to school, I asked my husband, Chris, I said, um, Did you, have you done all the maintenance on her car? Like, it is, like let's reduce some of the variables of death. <laughs> Have you, is everything good on her vehicle? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I think, I think everything's good. I'm like, does she, like, does she need a new battery? And he was like, well, yeah, actually that might be a good call. And I'm like, oh, good. So, so two weeks before she's about to leave for school, Faith and Chris and I are, are in the car. And Faith says to my husband, dad, that check engine light in my car is still on. And I, because and I, I, I love Jesus, I go, <laughs> and I pierce the hole in his soul with my eyes. <laughs> and I go, you knew about this? Super nice and Jesus-y just like that. And he immediately goes, well, I, and my daughter from the back goes, Mom, it's okay. You know when your kids have to come to your husband's rescue because you're <laughs> psycho? So she's like, Mom, it's okay. Like, I didn't even tell Dad. He didn't. Uh, stop your lying. Okay, so. So then he, I can tell, you know, I, I've done it again. And he, he just said, it's, it's not a check engine light. It's to rotate her tires. It's just to preserve the life of her tires. It's not a maintenance issue. Oh. So then I tried to explain. I mean, I tried to apologize, but instead of apologizing, I actually just explained myself, which actually made things worse. And I said to him, well, remember last year when she was going to take your truck? And I was like, are you sure she should take your truck? Because it has like 700,000 miles on it. And he was like, it'll be fine. And then remember how it wasn't fine and the engine like started smoking before she got home? So that was my apology. <laughs> Remember when you messed up last time? <laughs> so we're in the car, it's very tense, and we pull into our destination, which of course was Sunday morning service. We're driving to church. And we get into church, and we're singing the songs, and I'm in that place again that I talked to you about last night, where I'm just like, I don't want to sing these songs. I don't, I don't deserve. Like, in my head, I know that I don't deserve anything Jesus has given me. But, but in my heart, when I truly feel like I don't deserve it, I can't, I, can't, I can't just accept it. And so um, I, sat, I sat there just beating myself up. And then the sermon was about gentleness. Gent see the irony there? Gentleness. And I just wanted to not be there. And I sat there doing exactly this. Fear-based repentance makes us hate ourselves. But joy-based repentance makes us hate the sin. Um, God is so good, though, in that moment while I was sitting there. You know, the pastor was talking. I wasn't listening, so I was, like, processing how 
terrible I am. And, um, and in that moment, God in his love allowed me, because here's my thing. I, this is what I do. I'm a Christian writer and author, and I went to seminary. My husband is a businessman who came to faith later in life and who, you know, I kind of um, share things with him. And I'm like, hey, let's read our Bible together. Let's do these things. And I'm like, why does the Christian author speaker look less like Jesus than, than the guy who's in the secular business world? That was my point. That was why I hated myself in that moment. Because even though I know it just shouldn't matter, in my heart of hearts, it did matter. And God in his love reminded me of a verse that I had memorized the year before. In that moment when I'm sitting in church, listening to gentleness, hating myself because I'm a nightmare to live with sometimes. And he, in his sweetness, he reminded me of a verse from 1 Corinthians 4, 7 that says, what makes you different than anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And in that moment, God in his love reminded me, I, Romans 12, we all have different gifts. I have made your husband the way I have made him, and I have made you the way I have made you. And we act like it's not like trying harder, it's not like going to seminary, it's not like doing all those things. But I looked over at my husband, and I'm like, why is he so nice and I'm such a jerk all the time? And God in his love goes, what do you have that you did not receive? That's what I've given your husband, and I've given you something else. And repentance started to look very different in that moment. It started to look like joy-based repentance. How else do we breathe deeper? Besides remembering our rescue, we need to, um, one of the things that I think we can um, challenge ourselves in through this text is to read invitation, not condemnation. One of the things that often stands out with the, the um, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, which is a very popular verse with the church, geez, <laughs> do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and petition, thanksgiving, present yourself, is the do not be anxious. And I often walk along, because I walk alongside college age and high school girls in discipleship, they will say to me, but I'm not supposed to be anxious. The only thing that stands out in that verse is that they're not supposed to be anxious, but I'm not, I shouldn't be anxious, I shouldn't be anxious. I'm not supposed to be anxious. I just have to love God more. I just have to, I, I gotta just, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta. <laughs> and what this verse is about is God inviting us to his peace and he's inviting us to lay these things down at his feet so that he can guards our, guard our hearts and minds when everything around us truly looks like a dumpster fire. These things aren't gonna change and yet we, what his word is saying is we can have peace in that. It's peace that surpasses understanding. I remember um, sitting in a, um, a sermon recently and the pastor said the remedy to anxiety is to trust God. And he said and in order to have peace, we have to just keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And those two things are very true, but what I heard in that was condemnation. I'm not, fix I'm not doing enough. I'm not fixing my eyes on Jesus enough. I'm not, I should do another Bible study in addition to the three I'm already doing. I should sign up for another women's retreat. I should memorize seven more scripture verses, right? We make it all about us. Because what we do is oftentimes we hear condemnation rather than invitation in God's word. And Romans 8, 1 says there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Remember that 2 Corinthians 7.10, I talk about this, I think, in all of my books, says that there is a difference between condemnation and conviction. There is a difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. 
And con- remember, conviction is, oh my gosh, I love you. Don't go out into the street. Come here. Come here. I have ice cream. Let's go. <laughs> That's, right? Conviction sounds like God's love. Like he's like, I, I, you, we need to hate that sin because I have more for you. I love you. I'm trying to protect you. Remember, that's Deuteronomy. He gives us, he gave us the the law. He gave Israel the law so that it would go well with them. But condemnation, on the other hand, sounds like a bully. It sounds like, oh, there you go again. You're never going to get better. Oh, look at how faith had to come to your husband's defense because you're a monster. Like we, right? We hear this stuff, don't we? Because again, Revelation. Satan accuses day and night, and so do we. We're our own worst enemy oftentimes. So how do we do this? How do we start to read invitation in Scripture rather than condemnation? I think um, one of the things that's helpful is to pay attention to your shoulds, your shame, and your stress. How many times, there, there was a woman here last week, sweet woman, and we started talking, and the number of times she said should Oh, I should. I should have done this. I should have went to this church. I should have told my husband this, but I didn't. I shouldn't have. I sh-. When we, we hear those shoulds, that is a great indicator that we are going down the wrong side of the triangle. And we're worried more about obedience and doing than we are resting in the finished work of the cross. And when we have that shame where we want to hide like, I literally, when, she, when, when the pastor said that the topic was gentleness, I was like, I wish I could just slither down. I, I, wanna, I wanted to hide. That's shame. And again, then what, why did Jesus come? Um, see your shoulds, your shame, and your stress. Here's what Martin Luther says. Either sin is with you, lying on your shoulders, or it is lying on Christ, the Lamb of God. Now, if it is lying on your back, you are lost. But if, is, but if it is resting on Christ, you are free and you will be saved. Now, choose what you want. Shoulds, shame, and stress don't feel like freedom. I, lo- I love that Luther quote. But I think before we can choose what we want, we also have to identify when it's happening because most of us don't think that it is. That little girl that was talking to me last week about all the shoulds, she goes, oh my gosh, did I just say should? I'm like, yeah, like three times. And she came back next to me on Sunday and she goes, I say should all the time. And she didn't even know it because we don't know it if we don't pay attention, right? And, and again, this isn't, a, this isn't a striving thing. I asked the Lord, Lord, will you help me pay attention to should, shame, and stress? Because I know you have more freedom for me. You sent your son to give me freedom. Okay, how else do we breathe deeper? Um, besides remembering our rescue, besides uh, reading invitation, not condemnation, I think we need to remind the mind, remind the mind. Uh, Philippians 4, 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. One of the things, again, particularly walking alongside young people, but also walking alongside the five old people that I walk, my age, the, the five people that I walk along in discipleship, um, emotions, one of the reasons we need to remind the mind is because we need to reposition our emotions. We need to reposition our emotions. 
Emotions are great guides. God has given us emotions. They can be so beautiful. And and sometimes we can demonize our emotions. We're gonna talk a little bit about that on Sunday. But emotions are great guides, but they're not meant to govern our lives, ladies. A lot of times young people will be like, well, I don't feel God, I don't feel God. But like when I listen to worship music, I feel him. And so I don't know if he's there. That's allowing emotions to govern your lives. God in his grace and his love allows us that kind of intimacy when we're in worship. When Jackie comes up and, and, and uses the gift God's given her and we just want to like weep. Isn't it sweet that God gives us those emotions to allow us to connect with him in that way? But we're not, we're not walking around like that all the time. Does that mean God's changed? No. He has not changed. Um, what, what, in order to move into deeper places of peace, in order to breathe more deeply, regardless of what's going on, we need to remind our mind of God's truth. How do we do that? We need to meditate and m- memorize God's word. We need to meditate and memorize God's word. Um, So one of the reasons I was a uh, high school teacher and then now I do this um, is partly because I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom and was really grateful to be able to do that for many years. Um, But the reason I I speak is because um, one of the reasons I became a Christian, I didn't grow up, obviously, as I was sharing... um, as a believer, Um, but one of the reasons uh, I came to Christ uh, is he rescued me from anxiety. I have had a lifelong battle with anxiety. Um, I remember having my first panic attack, which I didn't know it was, it had a name, (laughs) but I was five years old. We moved a lot when I was little, so I remember being in my driveway, and I remember all of a sudden just being, for no reason, just all of a sudden feeling panicked and feeling like I had to go, I had to run, but I didn't know where and I didn't know why. And that was the first of many, 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 many unprovoked panic attacks. It got really bad when I was in college. You know, you, you people in here who are, who are of college age, um, it's a, that's a hard time. You need to give yourself and receive God's grace in a big way when you're in college. Because it's hard. There's a lot there. And us old people are like, oh, you think you have it bad now? Just wait till you get old. Yeah, don't listen to that. Um, and, then, and then, as I often tell moms groups, it's too late for you, but if you're an anxiety person, maybe don't have a baby. <laughs> well, that was free, just a little, you know. Um, but I did, and so I had Hannah, and I just remember my anxiety went through the roof, through the roof. And so um, I remember at that time going to a MOPS group, a Mothers of Preschoolers group at Elmbrook Church. Um, and I remember hearing Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And I was like, I, I don't even know what the book of 
Philippians, <laughs> whatever that P um, word is. I don't know where that is in the Bible. I don't know who's saying this. I, don't, I didn't know anything about it, but I heard um, that peace and that he would guard your, uh, my heart and my mind, and I, I wanted that. And so I remember going home and meditating on that verse, and I remember going home and rereading it and finding it and writing it out and, and looking at it and wondering about it and, and all these things, and I just, over time, memorized it because I was looking at it so often, and it became a lifeline to me. Why? Because my emotions that are meant to guide, not govern, would take over, and I would pray that verse, God, you don't want me to be anxious about anything, but in everything, prayer, I would say that verse over and over and over again. I've been um, speaking for about 15 years, and I've yet to have a woman come up to me and go, do you know what my spiritual gift is? It's scripture memory. I'm so good at it. No, everybody comes up to me, and they're like, I know that you want to say me, you should memorize scripture, but I can't. You can't. But you need to find a verse that not only that you need to um, meditate on, but you also need to find a verse that's meaningful to you. Like, don't go into Hobby Lobby and be like, oh, there's a good verse on that picture. There's a good verse on that t-shirt. I should memorize that. No, what's going on in your actual life right now? Where do you feel you need rescue? And then find a passage of God's word that speaks to that and start meditating on it, start reading it, start writing it down, start asking questions of it, start praying it, and pray through it in your regular life. I was speaking at Forest Springs, and this woman came up to me after a session, and she goes, uh, my daughter is, is struggling with crippling anxiety. Can I talk to you? And I'm like, sure. So we talked for a little while, and then we're talking for a while, and then I'm like, do you know the verse Philippians 4, 6, and 7? She's like, oh, yes, do not be anxious about anything. She roused the whole thing off to me. And I said, have you ever just... Um, taken it as you pull up to school because she would pull up to school with her eight-year-old daughter and the daughter wouldn't want to go in because she was so in bondage to anxiety. And I said, have you ever just prayed through that with her? Like, okay, do not be anxious about anything. Sweetheart, what are you anxious about? Well, I'm anxious that my teacher might call on me and I'm anxious that my friends are going to be mean. All right, let's pray about that. Okay, Father God, we just, this is what we're scared of right now. We're scared that my, her teacher might call on her. We're scared of her friends being mean. We're scared. Pray through that. Okay, what's the next part with Thanksgiving? What can you be, we be thankful for today? Right, because science tells us what the Bible already knows and that's that fear and um, Thanksgiving can't function in the brain together. So what can we be thankful for, honey? What can you be thankful for? That we have a car to bring us to school? Like one thing, what can you be thankful for? And pray through that. Because unless God's word intersects with our regular life, our actual life and the hard places we need rescuing, we're just gonna compartmentalize those things. And, and it could just be a Sunday thing or that's just our quiet time thing. But also, my life is a disaster. But there's Jesus over there. We don't, again, do this on purpose. But we need to allow those two things to intersect so that it becomes meaningful. Um, oh, my time is up. Thank you. It's time for me to be done. Someone set a timer. Thank you so much. All right. So we'll see you this afternoon. <laughs> She's so embarrassed. I love it. No. Um, one of the reasons I think, one of the things we talked about yesterday was um, the importance of evaluating everyday emotions, like thinking about what am I, what, what are, what, like what are my patterns? Am I, am I habitually anxious? Am I habitually defensive? Am I habitually jealous? Am I habitually whatever? Um, 
And I think one of the reasons it's important to step into that is it helps us to meditate on scripture that's meaningful to us. Because sometimes we think that something should or shouldn't be meaningful. (laughs) Because if you're like, I'm 50, I still shouldn't care what people think about me. But some of us do. (laughs) And like, you know, you could be like, oh my gosh, Laura, I can't believe that you didn't think you did good last night. You did so good. It doesn't really matter. I I walk with this 17-year-old girl who is the most uh, physically on the outside, strikingly beautiful woman, and she thinks she's ugly. And I could tell her all day long, honey, you're beautiful. It doesn't matter what I tell her. It matters what's actually going on in our own hearts and minds. And I remember as I was about to start a discipleship group, I I was feeling, I noticed as I evaluated everyday emotions, I was like not joyful about it. I was very anxious about it. And I didn't know why. And I was talking to um, a pastor friend. We were kind of going in a group through this process of, you know, evaluating our everyday emotions and asking why of them. And he asked me, why are you anxious? And I'm like, I don't know. And he goes, well, why don't you pray about it? And so I did. The best mentors in your life will not give you answers. They will tell you, they will point you to Jesus. Because we, I can give you an answer because like I'm old and I've done things, but it's going to be like a little band-aid on a gaping wound. Jesus, he can do what's actually needed to fix the gaping wound. So the pastor said, why don't you pray about it? So I started to pray about why I was anxious about leading this group and what the reality was was I didn't feel smart enough to do it. I watched the other people in church. I watched the other pastors. I watched the other leaders. I watched how they function. I watched how they don't have to write every single thing down because they're going to forget. And they're able to process people and get to things. And I'm like, I can't, I can't do that. And it's something I've always struggled with. I've always struggled to feel smart enough. And so... I I took that question and I took that thing that I needed rescuing from and I started looking in God's word for it. I started to meditate on passages and I started to look just as I read, Lord, what do you want me to know about this? And I remember coming along the, the very famous your fearfully and wonderfully made passage in Psalm 139. And I remember just breaking down and crying and going, God, why didn't you make me smarter? We have to have those. Remember, we need to pray through those ADD things. Do you know how embarrassing it is to wish that you were smarter at age 52? Pretty sure physiologically I'm not going to get smarter. (laughs) Pretty sure. Pretty sure there's like some science behind that. And I just remember being in my front room and just crying and being like, why, God? Why did you make my brain the way you made it? And in his love, God reminded me of my nephew, Kyle. Kyle has a cognitive disability. He's in his 30s. And I thought, God just brought him to mind in that moment as I asked him why he didn't make me smarter. And, and I felt like the Spirit said to me, how smart does Kyle need to be to love people? Because Kyle's the most loving, loving person I've ever met. 
God wants us to step into peace in our actual problems. I did not get smarter that day. (laughs) I was not suddenly able to understand quantum physics that morning. Nothing about my circumstances changed. But God in his love gave me an increased imagination and reminded me that all I really needed to do in that discipleship group was love the women around me. And I can do that. Kleenex. How do we breathe deeper? Um, I think all of these things are awesome. Um, remember your rescue, read an invitation, not condemnation, and remind the mind to reposition emotions. But I think one of the best ways we learn to breathe deeper um, is to, to feel love deeper. Because scripture says that perfect love casts out fear. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. See how I keep baiting you to come back to the next session? It's a little trick. Yeah, all right. All right, let's pray, ladies. Um, Father God, you're so, you're just so generous. You're so good to us. I just love the way you have shown me and, and invite all of us to peace in the middle of whatever we're living in. And I know in a room with this many women, there's some stuff we're living in that we need rescuing from. But rescuing in your economy doesn't mean wave a magic wand and the circumstance change. It means moving us to this place where we experience your peace that surpasses understanding. And it's a gift. It is a gift, God. It allows us to function in a totally different way because fear is a robber. It robs us of being present. It robs us of so many things. It robs us of of the life that you died to give us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help, again, each one of us step into just one thing. Like, this is a lot. But you know our circumstances. You know our hearts. You know how we're wired. And so I pray that you would just show us one thing, God that will allow us to move a little bit closer in increasing measure, as it talks about in Peter, to to knowing your peace more fully and more deeply today. And thank you that, again, we can never exhaust knowing the peace that you have for us. You always have more. And so we just love you. I I thank you, and and I thank you for these precious women. Lord, they are, um, they're hungry. And I thank you that you meet us um, in our hunger. We love you and we thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.